Great to see you. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, Pastor Chris is actually preaching right now in Spanish uh, at the Mission Church in Tulsa. He's been down there all morning, and I'm so thankful for the work that God's doing there. It's amazing to see what God has done in the life of our church, that we have the privilege of being a church that meets in multiple locations and that God has just given us the opportunity to serve one another and to serve him in some miraculous and some amazing ways, and I'm grateful for that. And so, like I said, Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Put your finger there. We're going, to, uh, we're going to read it together in just a moment. But I hope you've been keeping up with our Bible reading plan. Since the very beginning of the year, we've been reading the Bible together and kind of just going step by step through that. Someone showed me that we've got the printed, uh, a printable version on our website of the Bible reading plan. You can click a button and it'll pull up something that's easy to print. And at the top of it on today's, the header says February Bible reading plan. I don't know if you know, but February's finished. Um, so while the heading says that, all of the readings and all of the dates next to it, March 1 through March uh, 31st, it's, that's all accurate. It's just the heading that's wrong. So if you look at that, we'll get that fixed this week. But if you look at that, you'll see that the Bible reading plan there is, is fine. And you can also see it online as well. But if you're reading with us, so far you've finished Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, goodness, Leviticus and Numbers. I'm so glad we've, we finished those. You finished Luke and Acts. You're just about to finish Mark, and today you started Deuteronomy. So that's just amazing. If you haven't been keeping up or if you're just getting started, that's great. Jump in right where we are. It's been fun to hear the stories of, of families that are reading through the Bible together and just kind of discovering things about the Bible that they've never discovered before. I can't tell you how much fun it is to be in the book of Leviticus and you read about all the bodily fluid things that they talk about in Leviticus and have a 13-year-old boy going, Dad, what about this? And you're like, oh, good, God, thank you. I get to explain that to my teenager. This is good. Um, so it's fun. It's just there's a, there's a lot of great reasons and ways to read through that, and I hope that you'll do that. I think that'll be really, really good. And then today we're going to see everything we're preaching right now is coming from or coming out of something we've read this week. Mark chapter 8 is one of those things. We've been in a series called Extraordinary Acts of God. And what we've been discovering every time we open up God's Word is that there are just a bunch of ordinary people like me and you. They're just ordinary people doing ordinary things, but as they follow God, as they follow God, God does extraordinary things in their midst. And so we're going to get to see that again today. And so I hope that that's what you're experiencing as you read through the Bible, as you apply it to your lives, and as you talk about it with your friends, that, that, that we just get to be ordinary people. But as we do that, our, our God does extraordinary things in our lives. And it's just beautiful. It's amazing to see. And then there's something else that I, I just want you to notice. Um, before we read the passage of Scripture, um, I am very blessed to have lived in Owasso for the past 21 years. I've gotten to serve here for 21 years. And God has blessed us with incredible friends. Just we have great friends. And many of them are right here in this church. And then some of those friends aren't in the church. They're out in the community. And some of those friends are beyond the community. But I've just, God's blessed me with great friends. How about you? I'll, I'll bet you have great friends. And I'll bet some of those friends go to this church. I'll bet one of the reasons you may be here is because one of your friends said, hey, come to church with me, and you said yes. And so I think that's really cool. I hope you'll just take a moment to think about how blessed you are with the friendships that you have. 
And then out in the community and just kind of around in the, in, in the city, I have friends that don't attend church here, and they're great, they're great people. They're just, and you know, isn't that true about your friends too? Your friends are good people. You know, we say that about people, right? Oh, they're good people. Why do you hang out with them? Oh, they're, they're good people. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what it takes to be good people because it feels like my good people might be different than your good people. I don't know, but they're good people, right? And then in our community, I'm surrounded by good people who I would consider friends. They're good people, but they don't yet know Jesus. They're good people who don't go to church anywhere and uh, the church really isn't the standard, right? It's, it's whether or not they place their faith in Jesus, where they're following him as the way. And so I have lots of friends who are good people, but their faith and mine is not the same. And we disagree about what the Bible says or that the Bible's even important. And maybe we disagree, well, not maybe, we definitely disagree on who Jesus is and how important Jesus is in our lives. And so I have good friends who are good people that don't know Jesus. I'll bet you do too, don't you? Don't you have good friends that are good people that don't know Jesus? And so as we read this passage today, Mark chapter 8, one of the, things I, one of the questions I hope we'll ask and answer is, I wonder, how, I wonder how our community would be different. I wonder how our church would be different. I wonder how your life would be different. I wonder how your friendships would be different. I wonder how your kids and their relationships would be different. I just wonder what would change if we would introduce the friends we love to the God we love. I wonder what that would look like for us to be the people who would introduce the friends we love to the God we love. Because I don't know about you, but I give my friends a pass, right? They're good people, so surely... Well, God, they're good people. I just give them a pass. They may not believe about Jesus like I believe. They may not go to church like I go to church. They may not go where I go to church, but they're good people, God, surely. And we just kind of give them a pass, and then we just pass over the things that are challenging to talk about, and we just kind of go out into the community, and we do our things, and we have our fun, and we make these memories. And then I look back, and I realize I have this God I love, and I've never really taken the time to try to introduce him to the friends that I love. And I have these friends that I love that I've never taken the time to introduce to this God I love. So I wonder how different our lives and stories would be if I made that a priority. Surely, God, you're going to give them a pass. They're good people. That's not really what Scripture says, right? The Scripture says it's not about whether or not we're good. It's not that man and other humans are the standard of what's good and what's right. It's that Jesus is the standard. And offensive or not, Jesus says, I am the way, the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one can come to the Father except through me. So it's not about meeting a standard of goodness in order to be pleasing to God. It's about meeting the standard that he set through his son Jesus. And he knew we couldn't clear the standard, right? We just couldn't get it good enough on our own. So he cleared it for us through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. He lived that sinless, spotless, perfect life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a right relationship with God, so that any kind of introduction to us and God could be made in the first place. So Jesus did all of that for us. And if I have good friends, and I have a great God, and they don't know each other yet, what am I waiting for? Why not introduce my good friends, the friends I love, to the God I love? In the passage of Scripture we're about to read, we see someone, we see some friends who do that. And we're going to just see some things about them and about the disciples and about Jesus today that I think, well, I hope is a part of my life. 
It's, it's a part of who I, I it's, it's part of something that I pray. It's part of something that I hope I become. And if I'm just gut level honest, I hope that we as a church are these kinds of people. Actually, every time I talk about something from this passage of scripture today, I'm going to say, here's what the principle is, and then here's what I hope we will do about it. Technically, it's an I. I this is what I hope I am and what I'll do about it. But I love you guys, and you're some of my good friends because you're good people, right? And I'm hoping that this becomes part of who we are. Actually, I think it might, some of these things might be already who we are, but I think it's good for us to remember and call it out and reinforce it. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 8. Stand with me out of honor for the reading of God's word. And as an act of worship, we stand to honor his word, and then I'll read it at the end of reading it. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You'll respond, praise be to God. And that's just our way of acknowledging that what I just read isn't really my words. It's really God's words, and we want to worship him through that. So Mark chapter 8 Verse 22 is where we're going to be, and here's what it says. Then he, he is Jesus, then Jesus came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes and again made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. God. That's great. Thank you so much. You may be seated. And like I said, I'm wondering if what it would be like if we would be the people to introduce the friends we love to the God we love. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 22... We actually see that. A group of friends that says, he came to Bethsaida and they, who are they? Well, they are his friends. They heard that Jesus was in town. They heard that Jesus could heal people. So they brought their blind friend to meet Jesus. And so that, that's kind of that first step. Their friends were sensitive to what was going on. My friend has a need. Here's a guy who might be able to help. Let's see if we can put these two people in the same room together. Isn't it interesting that every great friendship begins with an introduction? What would happen if I just introduced them to Jesus? And so their friends come together and do that. And verse 22 is funny. It says this. It says, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him. And here's what they did. And begged him to touch him. When was the last time you begged for anything? Every husband in the room should be like, about 20 minutes ago? (laughs) Um, No, not really. Um, But we know what it means to beg, right? They, they begged him for something. I have four kids, and I've told this kind of story before. It's a principle of parenting that I learned from Paige Cole. With my four kids, sometimes one of them will come to me, and they'll beg for something. Oh, Dad, this is the coolest thing ever. I've just got to have it. It's only this much. Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? And with four kids, and money being the way it is with that many people in the house, sometimes you have to say no, right? And so I'll say no to them, and they'll whine and cry, and they'll beg some more, and And then I'll look at him and I'll say, hold on just a minute. You have to understand, I have four kids. I only have enough love for one child a week. That's why I said no. It's not about the money. It's that I only have enough love for one of you a week, and it's not your week. See, I learned that from Paige Cole, and that's just a good parenting principle for those of you who are about to be parents. That's a good thing. Actually, we've done it enough now that when somebody gets told no, another kid in the room will look at him and kind of giggle and go, it's not your week. And so it's just become, but you know what it means to beg for something. These friends begged Jesus to touch their friend. 
to heal him. And so here's my question to you. Do you love your friend enough to beg God to do a miracle? Do you love your friend enough to beg God? Now, I'm not talking about the needs that they have necessarily. It's great for us to pray for our needs. We just did that a minute ago. It's great for us to pray for their physical health. It's great, for, it's great for us to invite them to church and to pray that they come to church. I want them, to, I'm actually kind of selfish about that. If we're going to go to church in Owasso, we might as, well come, might as well all come together. Why not just come here together? I think that'd be awesome. But it's really not about another meeting because at least my good friends who are not members of our church and don't necessarily have an interest in Jesus or the Bible at all, they've already got good things to do, right? That's what makes them good people. So they don't need another meeting and they don't need another civic organization. They don't, they don't need another thing to put in their calendar and their schedule. My friends that are good people that don't know Jesus, they need a miracle in their lives. They need their eyes to be opened to spiritual things. And so I'm not saying, hey, God, would you bless them physically? Would you bless them financially? Would you? I do that, but that's not the only thing I do. Surely we can't, surely we can go beyond that, right? Surely we can go deeper than that in our prayers and beg God to open the eyes of their heart so that they can see him clearly. Do you love your friends enough to beg God for a miracle? That God would do something in them and through them that can't possibly be explained because of them. Do you love your friends enough to beg God? That's what they did, to do a miracle. 1 Samuel 12, 23, Samuel's a prophet, and he says something interesting about his community. He says, far be it from me that I would sin against God by not praying for you. When was the last time you prayed for your friends like that? Samuel said, it's a sin against God when I don't pray for my people. Man, do you love your friends enough to beg God to open their eyes? See, that brings me to the principle. That's the, the principle, and then there's just the, the hope that I have. I hope that we will be the people, that we will beg God through prayer to open the eyes of our friends. Man, how would this community change? How would Tulsa change? Man, Admiral, that whole corridor where the Mission Church is located, there is so much spiritual darkness there. God, would you do a miracle in the hearts of our friends in Tulsa? God, there's so much, there's so much plenty in Owasso, there's so much prosperity in Owasso that it's so easy for my friends' eyes to be blinded by the fact that they have things and they know things. God, would you open their eyes? to their spiritual blindness and to help them see Jesus for who he really is. God, please do something that only you can do in the hearts of our friends. How would our community be different if we were the people who loved our friends enough to beg God for a miracle? Look at the next verse, verse 23. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on them, he asked him if he saw anything. Now, verse 23, I always get stuck when the phrase, and he took the blind man by the hand. Um, there's an old song, come and hear that funky Dixieland, pretty mama gonna take me by the hand, by the hand, hand, baby, by the hand. It's the Doobie Brothers. Uh, I misquoted it earlier. I said it was Credence Clearwater. It's not Credence. But I've got both of those things stuck in my head because of my dad. He loved them all. And it's always good to have an excuse to say the word Doobie Brothers in church. So, um, so here we are. When I read verse 23, I think to myself, he took him by the hand, hand, baby, by the hand, and led him out of town. And then in the middle of the verse, something really interesting happens. It says, once he gets him out of town, he, he spit on his eyes. 
spit on his eyes. So I've opened up all kinds of commentaries, and I've searched the internet over, and I've done all kinds of history and cultural studies. I can't find a context where spitting in the eye means anything but spitting in the eye. <laughs> and I can't find a context where that's anything but offensive. Right? It's just offensive. When someone, someone spits in your eye, it's just offensive, right? That's just, what do you think? I tell you what, let's, let's just try that right now. Turn to someone next to you. And, no, don't. There's a lot of things we're going to do, but not that, right? And we shake each other's hands, slap them, high five, woohoo, and high five. That's what Joe always says. We're not going to spit in each other's eyes. It's just offensive, right? What Jesus does. I took my friend to meet this guy who heals people, and the first thing he does is spits in his eye. Do you love your friend enough to beg God for a miracle, but that leads to the next question. Do you love your friend enough to let them be offended by Jesus? Do you love your friend enough for that? Now, I want to be really clear because we live in a culture that loves offending and being offended. We like the outrage moment, right? If it's on CNN or Fox, if it bleeds, it leads. And we, we don't spend money for peace. We spend money for conflict. We like watching somebody walk up and just poke somebody else in the forehead with, you know, some kind of comment. We love the mic drop moments. And we like, we, we, we pay for watching that, right? We, we, we do that. I'm not talking about the right to be offended or the right to be offensive. I'm not saying that you should be offensive, I'm not, it's in our politics, right? We just, we seem to specialize in finding ways to be offended by and offensive towards the people who just disagree with us. I'm not saying, are you, do you love your friends enough to offend them? That's not what I'm saying. Because I don't think Jesus really gives us that right to do that. I don't think that's what he's actually saying here. But I do know this, that the Bible is crystal clear that the message of the gospel, that God's word is frequently found to be offensive to someone who is lost. It's just frequently found to be offensive. So can you get comfortable enough with the truth of God's word? And can you love your friends enough to sit comfortably with them when they're offended by Jesus? Can you do that? You see, that brings me to the we statement, right? The we statement is this. We will do everything we can to comfort our friends through their offense. I'm not going to be deliberately offensive, and I'm going to do everything I can to comfort you when you're offended, except tell you that Jesus is wrong. Because when Jesus says, I am the way, he's the way. He's the only way. When he says, I'm the truth, he is the truth. When he says he's the life, he is the life. And as good as my good friends are, because you know they're good people, as good as they are, if they haven't placed their faith in Christ, there's a standard they'll never be able to reach because they're not the standard and I'm not the standard. And they may be, they may be so offended at the idea that they're not enough I know I was, right? At some point, I've been offended by the fact that I'm not enough. I can't be strong enough or smart enough or fast enough. I can't have enough. I can't, enough is just a big problem for me. And God looks at me and goes, but I never designed you to be enough. That's what Jesus does. He completes what you have that's incomplete. He leads you in the ways that you, 
you need to go and shows you the things you can't possibly see on your own. And sometimes I find that offensive, and so do my friends. But do you love your friends enough to sit comfortably with them, to let them be offended by Jesus? If they're your friends, and they love you, and they're good people. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why would I let my friend walk off a cliff? Why would I do that? Why would I let my friend step into the danger of something that everyone knows will kill them if, if they're really my friend? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then Galatians 6.2 says we should bear one another's burdens. Now, here's the challenge. In our world that loves to offend and be offended today, when we think about bearing one another's burdens, our knee-jerk reaction is to think, oh, I've got to take that away. I've just got to remove the offense. I've got to take the thing that's offensive completely out of the room and build this giant wall that just separates the offended from the offensive. I've just got to do that. Otherwise, I'm not bearing one another's burdens. But in that context, in Galatians chapter 6, what it really means is to come alongside them and carry the weight with them. If God is the one who brings the offense, it's worth being offended. And sometimes that's heavy. And sometimes that's hard. And God knows it. And so he's, he's given us you, me, He's given us a friend. He's given us families. He's given us people to help bear that burden until our eyes are fully open and we can see things like he does so that we can see from his perspective rather than our perspective so that we can understand the way, so that we can live and hear the truth and so that we can accept and fulfill this incredible life that he's building for us. Do you love your friends enough to beg God to, to do a miracle? Do you love your friends enough to let them be offended by Jesus? Here's the next one, verse 24. So Jesus spits in his eye, puts his hands on him, and then verse 24 he says, uh, and Jesus looked up and he said, or he's, excuse me, middle of 23, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Verse 24 says, and the blind man looked up and said, well, I, I see men like trees walking. I see something I haven't seen before. It's blurry. Looks kind of Groot-like. It's weird. Um, this is, I see men like trees walking. So here's Jesus. So far in the book of Mark, if you've been reading with us, he has healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's walked on water. Remember with Jesus and the disciples were there through all of this. He's walked on water he calmed the storm. He fed the 5,000. He fed 4,000 people. He's done all these miracles, and it seemed virtually effortless, right? Uh, Jesus, you know, hey, here's some fish. Here's some bread. What should we do, Jesus? We don't have enough food. All we've got is this little bit. And, a little bit. and Jesus says, well, here, let me have it. God, would you bless it? All right, hand this out to everybody. And everybody's full. It just seems effortless until now. Did Jesus fail? Is he some... Is, He's a little weak. Maybe he got a little cold. I don't, I don't know. The blind man said, and he looked up and said, I, I just see men like trees walking. You see, Jesus didn't fail in this moment. 
There's actually a, a theological term to describe not just what's happening here, but what happens throughout Scripture. It's called progressive revelation. And here's what God does. He enables us to see what we need to see when we need to see it. And for the disciples, there were some things here that they needed to see and needed to understand that they had never seen before. And this man was just like it, and he became a great object lesson for them. Jesus didn't fail when he tried to heal the man the first time by spitting in his eye. He opened up his eyes as much as the disciples and this man could, could see in that moment. And he needed to be able... He needed to be able to walk with them to see what they need to see when they need to see it. And he does the same thing for you. That's what progressive revelation is all about. It's the idea that in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God doesn't start Genesis chapter 1 and just unload everything there is to know about our universe, our world, spirituality, and everything. One step at a time, we've gotten to know more about who he is and who we are, and more about who he is and who we are. And with every step we take, we learn a little bit more and we see a little bit more, and God shows it to us at the time we're ready to see it and to understand it. In the Old Testament, there's a number of covenants where God makes these promises to the children of Israel. And he actually does this. It's really interesting. He says, I'm going to make this promise to you. I will always be faithful to you. That was the essence of every covenant that God made. I'm going to keep my promises to you, but here's what's going to happen. You have a choice in this covenant. You can go this way and you'll be blessed. You can go that way and you'll be cursed. I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to keep my promises. You're going to decide whether or not you keep my promises. And if you keep those promises, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, you're going to be cursed. You'll, you'll, you'll fail. You'll, be, you'll fail. And in the middle of saying all of that, he pulled back the curtain and said, I know you're not ready to see this yet, you're not ready to understand it yet, but you're going to fail every time. And then they would walk it. And you get the children of Israel at the end of Numbers and throughout Numbers. They're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It says they get to the edge of the promised land just a few days after they leave Egypt. It's not long after they leave Egypt that they get to the edge of the promised land. And they all look up and they go, wow, the promised land, it's filled with good things. But our spies say it's not just good things. There's some scary things in there too. So we won't go in. We're just not going to go in. We're not going to do that. And they forget the faithfulness of their God and they reject the good things that he's brought to them. And so they chase a cloud in the wilderness for 40 years and it's not that generation that gets to go into the promised land. It's the next generation that gets to go. They weren't ready to see it. They couldn't see it. They tried to see it, but they but they, they kept rejecting. And God said that's exactly how that's going to work. And it happens to you and me too. We see the things God needs us to see as he needs us to see it. And today, one of the things I hope you see is that Jesus is for you and that he has forgiven you and his desire is for your friends and he wants to, he wants to know them as well. So could we introduce the God we love to the friends we love? Could we beg God for a miracle for them? Could we be willing to sit comfortably with them when they're offended by the truth of who Jesus is? And in this, this particular piece, do you you love your friends enough to trust the process that God chooses? Do you love your friends enough to trust the process God chooses? Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes moments. Sometimes you see things clearly immediately, and sometimes it takes a while for you to get it. 
Here's the crazy part. The disciples had been walking with Jesus. They experienced all those miracles, right? The raising of the dead, the healing of the sick, the calming of the storm. Peter actually walked on water with Jesus. We know he failed, but he actually walked on on water. They ate the leftover bread and fish that Jesus miraculously provided when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. But if you go a few verses earlier than Mark chapter 8, verse 22, if you get up into like 10 through 20, There's the story of the disciples on their way to Bethsaida arguing because somebody didn't bring enough bread with them. Come on, Peter. You only brought one loaf of bread, and it's the bread that tastes like sadness. Come on. Why did you just one loaf of bread? They're arguing with one another about this very simple, practical thing that Jesus has already shown them he can solve without thinking too hard about it. The disciples, even as they walked with Jesus, didn't see things clearly. And so he heals the blind man, and the blind man doesn't see clearly, and then he heals the blind man, and the blind man and the disciples begin to see more clearly than they've ever seen before. Are you willing to trust? Do you love your friends enough to trust the process that God chooses? Sometimes it takes a while. It's progressive revelation. It's why you don't start with kids with advanced trigonomic algorithms in first grade. You know, you start with one plus one and then you work them into what they need to understand to to do legit math. Uh, My little brother, I'm so proud of him. He's a diesel mechanic and a truck driver. He's just a, I call him my little brother because he's about this tall, but he's younger than me, so I've got to keep reminding him, you're my little brother. Um, and, but he's a diesel mechanic and a truck driver, and it's just been, I'm so proud of who he is and who he's become. And in recent days, he's gotten a new Bible and he's been reading some things, and just the other day, he posted something online as I was prepping for today and I read it and I thought, that's, that's a really, it's a great illustration of what it means to, to walk in this process, to trust the process God has for us all. And so I thought I'd read it to you, but instead of reading it from the New King James Version or the ESV, I'm going to read it through a, from a version of Scripture that's more artistic. It's not really a translation. It's really more of a summary, like a storytelling summary of Scripture. It's called the Message Translation or Transliteration. It's actually uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and the Apostle Paul is talking, but this idea that do you trust God enough, do you love your friends enough to trust God with the process that he chooses? Listen to what Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through through 3 say, and again, this is from kind of a story version of scripture. I just like the way it reads. In light of all this, this is the apostle Paul talking, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes to nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily. Here's my favorite line in this version of it. Pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert to noticing differences and quick at mending fences. It's kind of a storytelling version of Scripture, so it's not exactly word for word. It's not near word for word to the original Greek. But man, that last idea, as we walk together, this process that God has for us 
Would you be willing to walk by your friend, pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love? See, here's the dangerous thing about Bethsaida. Here's the dangerous thing about being a good person, doing good things in a good church, inside a good community, surrounded by good friends that are good people. Here's the danger of all of that. There was this moment in Jesus' ministry where he looks up and he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. It's another city nearby. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the works that had been done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon instead of the judgment that they received, those people would have repented and turned from their sins to trust in Jesus. And so here's the disciples. They don't see clearly, but maybe God is helping them through this blind man to see clearly again. And here's this blind man who Jesus spits in his eye. It's kind of offensive, but, and he heals him, helps him to see, but then he opens his eyes completely to help him see clearly. And here's this town that in spite of the miracles that were done in it, never genuinely placed their faith in Christ. What a shame it would be for us to get to the end of our days and look back on our friendships with our good friends who are good people and recognize, I never introduced them to God. We weren't willing. We weren't willing to sit with one another through these offenses. We weren't trying to see what God would do to open my eyes. I wasn't praying that God would open their eyes and my eyes to their ways or to his ways. And so that leads to that, that next statement. Will we trust, will we, do we love our friends to trust the process God chooses, the statement is, I want us to be, I want to be those people who will walk with our friends through every step of faith. I want us to be those people. Let's walk with one another through every step of faith. And wherever you are in the process, this is a great place to be surrounded by great friends who will walk with you through every step of faith. And if, and if you're here today because a friend invited you and you're still not sure about Scripture or who Jesus is, you've got questions, what a great place to be. These people love you and they will walk with you through every question you have. And if you're offended or if you're offensive to them, okay, let's walk through that. Let's work that out. Let's see if God wouldn't persuade us both into something bigger and better than we've ever dreamed or ever imagined possible. My closest friend growing up is a man named Brian Waddell. We met in the third grade, and then we started getting to know one another really well in the seventh grade. And Brian and I just think alike, okay? So we figured out in the seventh grade we just think alike. The level of geek and awkward and nerd in us is really off the charts. And so he speaks my language, I speak his language. It's bad enough that if we play games together, uh, they won't let us be on the same team because like in Pictionary, I could draw a dot on the board and he'll be like, Death Star. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, we win. Or if it's like a trivia game and we're like, I'll be like, gold. And he'll be like, Lord of the Rings. Yes, that's it. You got it. We just think alike. Have you ever had a friend like that? That's my friend, Brian. We met in the third grade, started getting to know each other in the seventh grade. And 
And we just, we were together all the time. We would walk home from school together. My mom would have a double batch of cookies ready. We would eat every last cookie. And then we'd hang out until he had to go home. And he was at my house frequently more than he was at his own house. He was like a different brother, right? He was that kind of friend. And so we got along and did everything. And it was amazing from seventh grade on, the only difference in my life and Brian's life is I was actively involved in church and I had placed my faith in Christ. And so we would do all these things together until I went to church. And then I'd look at Brian and I'd do the same thing every time. Hey man, I'm be great to do that, but I'm going to church. Do you want to come? It was as simple as that. Do you want to come? And it was crazy because Brian, every time I did that, we'd be having a good time. We'd be laughing. We'd be cracking jokes. Hey man, I'm going to church. You want to come? His whole countenance would change. He'd get bothered. He was offended. He didn't say a lot. He didn't push back. He just turned inward, got a little frustrated, and went home. Happened over and over and over again. And I, we just, we were friends. So he knew I did this, and I knew what his response would be when I did that. So at some point, we kind of stopped talking about it, but there were still moments, hey, I'm going to church, you want to go? Hey, oh. Catch you later. He'd be out. And so I did pray for him. Now, I can't say I begged God on his behalf. I just prayed for him. Hey, God, would you do something in the, friend of, in the heart of my friend, Brian? Would you do that today? And from the time we were in seventh grade till the middle, to the summer of our junior year, the reaction that Brian had was exactly the same. And uh, I can remember the summer of our junior year, he calls me, and it's the same conversation. We're just catching up. We're talking. And, and I don't really know what he wants to talk about. I found out later that what had happened was his girlfriend had dumped him. And he was kind of working into telling me that, but I was in a hurry because I was going to church. And so I was in a hurry on the conversation. He hadn't had time to tell me about anything that happened. And so just very flippantly, like I always did, I said, man, I want to talk. I want to catch up. But I'm just walking out the door. I'm headed to church. You have to remember, I'm old. So this is in the day when a phone actually was attached to a wall. So I couldn't take the call with me, right? It was, that's, that's that day. Hey, man, I'm, I'm headed to church. And uh, you want to go with me? And that time he went, yeah, I'll go. And I'm like, whoa, hey, hold it. I mean, in my head and my heart, I'm just, what just happened? Great, let's go. So we went. It's the middle of the summer. We actually went to someone's house. We just played a bunch of games and, and hung out together. Our, one of our student ministers, Brad Davis, he gave a little devotional. It wasn't super heavy, super weighty. He just gives this little devotional. And, and then we went home. Man, that was a lot of fun. That was cool. Brian came. Wow. And then, and so I'm thinking, wow, that was neat. I wonder what happened. And the next day, he calls me. And he's like, hey, um, remember that, that Brad guy and that devotional he did talking about Jesus? I found my Bible. I said, you've got a Bible? <laughs> he says, we live in Oklahoma, dude. Yes, yeah, <laughs> okay. I found my Bible. And that thing about Jesus and trusting him for the forgiveness of sins, I think I just did that oh my gosh, well, let's talk about that. So we started talking about that, and he did place his faith in Christ. Ultimately, his mom and dad placed their faith in Christ. We ended up being college roommates together at OBU. He was a pastoral ministries major, 
And right now, he's preaching. He's probably done because he's faster than I am. At First Baptist Church in Mountain View, Oklahoma. And uh, I don't know if you knew there were mountains to view in Oklahoma, but he's at First Baptist Mountain View preaching right now. And here's the thing. I can't take any credit for any of that. Not at all. God did all of that. He opened his eyes when he was ready. He opened my eyes when I was ready. I can't take any credit for that. None whatsoever because God does all the work. But you know what I can say? Because I never stopped saying, hey, you want to go with me? Because I never stopped praying. I got to see it when it happened. I got to be there in that moment he was baptized. I got to be a part of that. My good friend who was a good person has become a godly man, he and his entire family. And I wonder about your friends too. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the life that you've given to us and the love that you've shown us. I pray that we would be those people that would beg you to do a miracle on behalf of our friends. Help us to be the people who can sit comfortably with our friends when they're offended by Jesus. Help us to be the people who would comfort them and bear their burdens with them and do everything we can to comfort them except tell them that Jesus is wrong because Jesus, you're not. And then, Father, would you help us trust the process? Help us trust the process that you're walking us through to help us see things clearly Help us to trust the process that you're walking our friends and our family through. Father, with Brian, it was five and a half, six years from the time we started talking about it till the time he placed his faith in you. I don't know how long it's going to take, Father, but I trust you with my friends. So God, would you give me the patience and the wisdom to know what to say and what to do to introduce the friends I love to the God I love and let us be a people in this church where that happens all the time. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, and we're going to sing. And as we sing, it's really likely that you have a friend on your mind. Well, let me invite you to pray for them. You can pray at your seat. You can pray at the altar. Pray for your friend today. Beg God to do something on their behalf. And then maybe you're a friend who came today because someone brought, them, brought you with them, and you just want to know more about what it means to trust in Jesus talk to your friend about that or come see me down front. There's people who'll be standing in the back. They, you can talk to them. There's people in the foyer. They'd love to visit with you more about what it means to trust in Jesus. Let's sing together and let's ask God to do something miraculous in our midst.